as we might wait just a second uh, before uh, for the parents to get back, we're not going to do another song. We're we're gonna we're gonna hopefully worship God in the end tonight. And uh, I wanted to leave a little extra time, so I asked Jake if we could sort of forego the song. But I do want to give them just a second, just to, just to remind everybody. Um, as we came out of the fast, I think it was it was nice that um, we went right into Revelation uh, three and four or two and three, where it sort of gave us a tour of the possibilities of what God might be saying to us as a church. I'll just remind you that that the angel of a church comes and walks among us and it sees it, it comes up with a word for a church um, i think as americans we seek god for uh, a word for ourselves and and i think we should do that but it, it seeks god comes and he says guys let me tell you what's going on with you so that you can decide how you're going to move ahead from here. So let me just remind everybody, we all together seek God. And, and we're crying out to, to, to understand where we are, to be humble and broken and emptied and pruned if we need to be. But at the same time, to have vision and purpose and direction renewed. And you need to be talking to each other. We need to see bubble to the top the thing that God, um, God's putting on our heart corporately by the Holy Spirit. To this point, if I were going to say that there's anything that's bubbled to the top, it's uh, number one, God's not real mad at us. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but if he were going to... Uh, say something he would say you guys really need to come back to that first love and what is that first love write this down if you can't remember it the first love is from God you need to get back to resting in God's love when that happens two things result first you begin to love God back here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. You know, we love, why? Because he first loved us. There's first love right there. And we know that if we love him, we will keep his commandments, right? This is nothing new. I, I, I'm not giving you some new commandment. It's the commandment that you heard from the beginning that you would love one another. So it's that simple. I believe God is calling us back to the simplicity of resting in his love and letting that change us so we love him back and, and love each other. Uh, so that, if nothing else, will be part of our trajectory for next year. Uh, coupled with that, though, is it's the love of the world that militates against loving God. It's being captured with things in the world that keep us from loving God. So, so I, I would suppose at the same time that, uh, that we're trying to cultivate love for God, 
uh, there would be some things that we would see in our life that maybe aren't evil, uh, but they get in the way of, uh, of loving each other and loving God. So um, that's just sort of where we came from out of the fast and as we move ahead. And by the end of the year, keep talking. Talk in your home groups and get a sense of, of who we are and where God's taken us. Amen? All right. Uh, everybody knows the book Horton Hears a Who. And uh, Horton didn't hear the who until the very smallest of the people in, uh, what was that place called? Whoville. Whoville? Uh, the smallest Whovillian finally spoke up, and then Horton was able to hear. And so everybody, uh, don't sit around waiting for the uh, word from on high to come down from Elder uh, Tom, uh, but but you you spend time before the Lord, and it, it always bubbles up every year, and by about uh, January, we, we have really clear direction. So I think we have some good direction, but uh, I, I believe it might, might grow. If you weren't here earlier, I did a review of uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, but I'm going to go ahead and jump in uh, to chapter 4, so if you want to turn there, you can. I'll point this out. I pointed it out in the review, but at the end of chapter 3, when it's talked to all of the churches, the last church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door, and if any man hear my voice, and open the door, <laughs> uh, I will come in, and I will sup with him, and he with me. And so we get the picture, and you've seen them hanging on walls, of Jesus standing at a door knocking. And, um, but here's what's interesting. This is not a verse for evangelism. Uh, it's fine if you want to share that with people. But this is a letter to a particular church, and Jesus is knocking, wanting access to the church. Behold, I stand at the door of the church, and I knock, you know. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him, and he with me. So it's individual in the sense that, that we can all choose to open the door, but it's spoken to a church. There's a people who need to open the door and let Jesus in. And I would suggest that sometimes we get so busy uh, that we don't hear the knock, that, uh, that we're distracted. But, but here's what's so wonderful about it. In the next chapter, as we get started, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. You get that? Doors go both ways. I'm not so sure that if you open the door to Jesus, you're not also opening the door to heaven. At any rate, there's two doors, or at least two sides of the door. And when the door gets open, what do you see? You see heaven. And he says, immediately, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, what did he see? And I think this is the key to the whole book. When heaven opens up, 
I think the first thing that you're going to see is a throne with someone on it. And I believe this is, this is the focal book, focal point of the book of Revelation. The door to heaven opens and you see a throne with God upon it. So John says, before me was a throne. So throne, throne is, a, is, a, is, a, is an important theme through the whole thing. I think the word appears about 50 times. Almost every chapter, you're going to see the word throne. And, and, and really, to be honest, it is a game of thrones as you go through the book of Revelation. Uh, you have a wicked, deposed, fallen angel who has his own throne that he has maintained some way. It's, it's not a rightful throne, but it is a war between this, this fallen being who wants to rule and reign and have all glory to himself and the rightful king. And so you'll see this whole idea of a throne and how we approach and how we understand the throne all the way through. So a throne represents the authority of the king. If you've noticed, if you've, if you've seen movies or, or, or maybe a real throne room, there's always stairs that go up. And the throne is set higher so that there's no one. See, th this wouldn't be a good throne room. <laughs> the slant's in the wrong direction. You guys are all higher than me. Uh, well, no, maybe it is good. Maybe, maybe uh, who, who's back there? Maybe Maddox is the key. Yeah, that's more like it. That's kind of the way the throne is. So when everybody comes in, they kind of look up and they, 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 they see he is above us. And it represents power and authority. Power is the gun. Authority is the badge. And when the policeman stops you, you better submit to the badge or you're going to get the gun. Because he has both. God has all power and all authority. And so it opens up, and there he is on the throne. And so he's arranged the vision so that the very first thing, as you see into heaven, he draws your attention to the fact that he is on the throne. And, and that's a good thing. So he's arranged the whole vision so that the first thing you see. So remember, we're about to enter into the next chapters that shows this battle between the two thrones, between the two powers. Of course, we know the way it ends, but, uh, but watch for the thrones and watch for the battle as you go through. And as it gets started, we're going to see four horsemen show up. And they're going to represent conquest, violence, hardship, and death. And so in this battle, we're caught in the middle, and we're going to face violence. We're going to face hardship. We'll even face death. But we've got a picture of something, a throne room. Behold, God sits on the throne, and he rules over life and death. So it's hard to have an emotional connection to a king. To, 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 to really relate to a king like we're supposed to. You see, these guys had a Caesar. Uh, they had, a, they had a, a, a ruler that they actually called Lord, and in some places they called him, he called himself God. 
part of the reason some of the early Christians got in trouble is because they would not worship the Roman ruler. And so when they get this idea of who rules, they know what it is to have somebody who can knock your door down and take over. They know what it is to have a ruler that can come and take all of your belongings and put you in jail. And so, so they relate to this idea of a king in such a way that we want God to be our king, our ruler. And so it's hard for us to relate to that emotionally as, as, uh, as people who live in one of the most wonderful nations in the world, which is a democratic republic, which is where we choose our leaders and then they rule over us. And, and we have the right to censor them if we want to. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't cultivate within us uh, a, a, a sense of a sovereign ruler. If, 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 if you study political theory, the very best government, can anybody guess what it is? A monarchy where a king rules. A king who has the right to rule because of his wisdom and his motivation. A tyrant rules for his own gain. A true king has the right to rule, and his motivation is to further the kingdom for the good of the people. And that is the very best government that will ever exist. But the only problem is that, that, that men are not angels, and so kings become tyrants. But hallelujah, in absolute perfection, one day we will get to experience the perfect government where God himself rules and there's no tyrant that's trying to take over. So we grew up with royalty, sort of, um, I guess the, the royal figure I can think of that I probably know most about, and I don't know most about this particular royal figure Who's, who's the royal figure that you know the most about? Queen Elizabeth? I think I know more about Princess Diana than Queen Elizabeth, to be honest. But the whole stinking bunch of them are a mess. And they really don't present the, the ideal of what a king is supposed to be power and authority and human beings are created to relate to royalty there's something within us uh, that God put within us that we want majesty we want royalty and when we don't have it we create it and so some of the places that we that we look for that majesty that glory uh, one of the places is a wedding you know people spend all kinds of money to make it glorious, wonderful. And in some places, they, 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 you know, it's, it's flowers upon flowers. And you're trying to create that sense of, this is amazing. Uh, but, but we do have political figures. Um, there is political power. Uh, I think one of the most powerful people politically today is uh, Mitch McConnell. I, you know, I, I'm not commenting on your thoughts about uh, Senator McConnell, but he's very, very powerful, and he's, he's done an awful lot. Um, 
Donald Trump is amazingly powerful for a president who got defeated. As much as you might not like to admit it, some of you uh, diehards, but President Biden has a lot of power. He has done a lot of stuff since he's been in office. Power. Maybe the most powerful political figure you could think of is uh, Xi Jinping. I mean, a billion people. And he's at, they're at his disposal. And I think they got a pretty big army. When I, when I think about political power and trying to think of just that raw power, I, I think of the times that, that I've seen the president with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You've got the, the chairman, the vice chairman, uh, the chief of the army, the chief of the marines, the chief of the navy, uh, the, the chief of uh, the air force, the chief of the, the uh, 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 coast guard, the chief of the national guard, and you even have the chief of uh, space. And the caissons go marching along, and you just see them there, and they're like, you know, they're, they're, they're just contemplating how are we going to deal with this, this other nation. And it's like, they could bomb somebody if they wanted to. I think the only other time that I've had a really sense of military power was when I watched the movie uh, Independence Day. So you see all the, all the nations with their head and all of their generals, and they're all talking together. How are we all going to gather, uh, together defeat the, you know, the aliens? Uh, but that doesn't even come close to the power of God. Not at all. I think, I think one of the other places that maybe this congregation um, tries to create that majesty, tries to get into that place where you're captured is with sports. Because we don't really have that sense of the majesty and the presence and the awesomeness of God that causes us to jump up and just go crazy screaming and hollering, there's something within us that needs that. And so, so we look for it in sports. And, and in all of the events, you can see this sense of worship and, and it's, it's, it brings you to life. There's within you a need and a desire to worship. So, so you know, that, 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 that power, that, that majesty. Right now, the Dutch 11 have, have some majesty. They have some power. Um, did anybody see the Netherlands beat America 3-1 to today? A little bit of power there. There's a new book about Pele. Do you all know, speaking of soccer, the, the only person I really know who plays, played soccer was a guy named Pele for Brazil. Y'all are young. I mean, he was the stuff when I was growing up. Uh, he, his, his heyday was 60, 64, 65. Uh, but then through the 70s, he became more powerful. Uh, he'd do exhibitions. Uh, and he actually became, for Brazil, uh, the head of their sports. Uh, but, but I think he's the one who populi popularized the banana kick. Um, but people, and if you know about soccer down in South America... I mean, they kill people. Uh, people miss goals and they get shot. I mean, it's, it's the thing down there. And they just go crazy. They're painted with their numbers and they're, ah, 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 you know. And we're going to read what goes on in heaven here in a minute. And you're going to see that what, what goes on in those games kind of goes on in heaven. 
And we, we, we try to re recreate that. There's a book, a new book written. It's called The King of the World. Who do you think that's by? about? Muhammad Ali. You might not like Coach Patino, but he sure knew how to make it regal. From his, from his Italian uh, silk suit to his cofured hair to the music he brought in, he could create it and it was like, you know, I think if there was ever sort of a sense of what it kind of might hint toward heaven, it was after Rick Patino got here. I'm not talking about how they played or anything. I'm just talking about how he created this, this thing. If I say his airness, do you know who I'm talking about? Michael Jordan. $2.62 billion. Then you think about music. Who's the king of pop? Who's the king? I know exactly where I was on August 16th, 1977. I was sitting uh, at Ashland Barbers. And we had this guy that, uh, that uh, polished shoes and swept up the hair. And he'd come in, you know, he'd have a boom box on. He, 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 and he'd be kind of dancing as he comes in, you know, and he'd put it down and he'd do your shoes and then he'd sweep all the hair up. Then he'd put it on and walk out. And, and, and on this day, he comes in and he says, he didn't have his boom box. The king is dead. The king is dead. And he just announced it, kept announcing it. And before I got my hair cut finished, he came back in and said, the king is dead. And so whenever we have musical people, uh, music, music belongs in heaven. And music is, is created to capture your heart and direct it towards something. And if you think about Elvis Presley, he's the one who sort of fused white music and black music. And he directed the hearts of teenagers in America towards something. And he's known as the king. I, I'm not commenting on whether this is bad or good. Uh, there's a lot of things in the earth that God gives us to cultivate within us uh, our humanity. But I'm just saying, those are just hints. Then, then you think about the financial world. Right now, big names would be like, um, uh, well, when I was growing up, it was the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, and the Kennedys, and people like that. But now it's people like, what's that guy's name, Zuckerberg? Um, and who's the guy with the cars? Uh-huh. And uh, Be Bezos? Bezos? Yeah. And so you, you think about them, and then they show these pictures of their yachts and of their mansions. And there's just this sense of, that there's, you know, look at my little house. I wish I had a house like that. Look at my little 14-foot glass Tron aluminum boat with a 15-horsepower Mercury cruiser on it. And look at their yacht. My house, all my land, and my little boat and cars could all fit in the storage compartment of their yacht. How amazing is that wealth? And so it touches something in us. 
but it doesn't even compare to what it really is. And, and wh what I'm saying is, we don't really know what a king is. We, we don't really touch that, that regal, amazing, beyond us power and ability and strength in this world, you know? With a real king who really ruled, if you were under him, you would understand. But we don't. But we can see it in these other little places. So take the World Cup, the NCAA tournament, all the cage fighting, Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray um, Robinson, the Beatles. By the way, the Beatles have sold more albums than any other group in the world. You know who's second? You'll never guess, Garth Brooks. Take all that music that shaped your soul, you know? All you need is love, uh, um, yellow submarine, wh whatever it was, you know? Um, I don't know the, uh, uh, what's that, uh, Taylor Swift? Uh, Take all of that music that captures you and, and takes you somewhere, whatever your music is. Just take it. Take Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Take every Rothschild that ever lived. Take General Patterson. Take Abraham Lincoln. and Take uh, General Lee if you want to. Albert Einstein. Madame Curie. Every artist from Michelangelo to Picasso. Zuckerberg and Bezos, take all of it. Take all that, that mankind has achieved and what we look at in, 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 the, in the magazines and, and it's presented as beauty and greatness or power or ability or prowess. And it's all compared to what John sees here of this king sitting on the throne. It's, it's all... It's like the yellow wrapper of a $2 McDonald cheeseburger blowing in the wind on the side of the interstate in Oklahoma. All of it. We have not begun to see God. Holy, holy, holy. Let's, let's keep going and let's see what happens when you see God. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow around about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Now, a lot of people in their, uh, uh, in their uh, typology try to give exact meanings to these different emeralds, uh, these different jewels. But, but let me just say this. If nothing else, the jewels represent the majesty and the wealth and the ability of God. Uh, we have graphics. Uh, we have the ability to digitally improve things. What they did when they wanted to exalt a king was to create a crown and to add all the jewels that the crown could possibly hold to say, this guy is worth it. This guy is wealthy. 
And so when you see these jewels, if, if, if you've read some literature that gives specific meaning to the jewels, God bless you. But don't lose the primary meaning. He is worthy of all the wealth in the world. And then there's a rainbow over him. Now the rainbow does have specific significance. It doesn't mean that God is non-binary. What it means is that God has made a promise. And this, is, this, this thing is the backdrop to God. I don't want to destroy you. I've had to deal harshly in the past, but I give you my word. I am not going to send another flood, but I'm going to send redemption. I am going to make a way. And so you look into heaven. You see him high and lifted up. You see him adorned and, and accentuated with jewels. And you see this covenant promise over him. Let's keep going. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So now, the first thing that captures you is God. But here's an amazing thing. There are 24 human beings sitting on thrones with God, sitting in seats in the throne room, places of honor, now, you can read and you can find people that will explain to you who those 24 elders are, but I think one thing we do know about them, they are human beings. Human beings are going to be able to sit in the throne room of this majestic God of ours. I personally think it represents mankind because if you'll look back up in chapters 2 and 3, Listen to this. They were sitting on seats. Is that familiar? He says, if you overcome, you will sit with me. Clothed in white raiment. He said, if you overcome, I will give you a, a, a robe of righteousness, a white robe. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. What did he say to those churches? We're going to get crowns. Hallelujah. God has intended from the very beginning that we would join the royal family. And like princes and princesses, be co-regents with him and participate in his purposes. Hallelujah. God's intent when he created you was not for you to, to, to uh, uh, grovel around in this earth in a fallen state. He created you for the very same majesty. So I, I, I don't know if you get excited at election times when you think your guy's going to win. I don't know if you get into music and just, you know, do the thing when your music's going on. I don't know if you go to ball games, but let me tell you, whatever that is in you, that is just a hamburger ramper blowing in the wind. God put it inside of you to want to rule and reign and be excited about living the life that he created you to live. 
share the throne, walk in righteousness, and wear a crown. It says it's going to be from every tribe, every language, every nation. God's going to gather the dispersed heritage into heaven. And just like Rick Patino, God's got his own, own background music. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Have you ever noticed at our, at our uh, sporting events, you get drums going, boom, 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 boom. And in the background when a goal is, is scored, get a picture. That's heaven. In heaven, there's going to be thunderings and lightnings. You don't even have to strike a match. God just causes it to happen. Are you getting a picture of what's going on up there? Anything that you've ever experienced as far as splendor and greatness does not come close to what God has intended for us to live in eternity. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is just the Holy Spirit. Uh, a, a lot of people try to go and, and split them up and tell you what all the spirits are. But, but it, it is the Spirit of God in perfection, in fullness. Seven is the word of fullness. And there was a throne, and before the throne there was a sea of glass. And so you've got... You've, you've got um, uh, these lamps that are the Holy Spirit, you've got the sea of glass, and I'll let you do your own research on that. Uh, I, I really haven't found anything that really captures uh, my, my mind as something that's pretty sure to say about the sea of glass, uh, crystal. And in the midst of the throne, here we come, and around the throne, now we've, we've, we've gone from human beings, now we have four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Remember back in Ezekiel? Back in Isaiah? Ezekiel had these beasts. And it was a lion, an ox, an eagle, and the face of a man. Remember when the throne was carried, he had these, these beings? They had the very same um, uh, characteristics. And then over in Isaiah chapter 6... Remember when, when Isaiah had his revelation, it's very, very similar. He says that I saw uh, the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory or his train filled the temple where they were. And it says there were seraphims flying around with, with six wings. Twain they did uh, fly, um, and twain uh, they, covered, uh, they covered themselves. Um, and, and it says they were crying something. What were they crying? Holy, holy, holy. These Old Testament prophets, when they got a glimpse into heaven, it was much the same thing. And most of the commentators are pretty sure that, that these four different uh, characteristics, uh, the lion is a wild beast, the ox is a tame beast. Of course, the eagle flies, and the human is, is a human. And so basically, all of creation... All of, all of creation that has life, 
uh, is represented in these these beasts that are around the, the throne and and so so what is all of creation doing and and again typology john has been given a vision that's in types it's it's not it's not just prose but it's almost like an artist and you've got to understand that that when these types were given it would register in them you know if i say blue white blue white blue white something registers inside of you doesn't it kurt it stirs up memories in you, doesn't it, Kurt? If you all don't know, Kurt played football for UK. Blue, white, blue, white. And so if you're reading along here and it says, and, uh, and there were blue curtains with white trim, he's not talking about UK. But it is talking about something that they would understand. And so as we read through the Bible and we see these types played out, there are some that we can know for sure. But there are others that you can't. So don't make stuff up. And don't hold too tightly to your little interpretation. Okay? But don't be afraid to compare Scripture to Scripture and see if there's not a consistency of these things. Okay? So I'm just going to presume that those beasts represent all of creation. And uh, let, let's see. Day and night. What are they doing? What are they crying? And here's the first song. There's four songs we'll look at. Here's the first one. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So the song is holy, O God. There is none holy as you. There is none as different as you. <laughs> you are so far removed from what we understand you are in and of yourself. You're perfectly pure. Uh, you're glorious, the Bible says, in your apartness. How different you are from the world is what we call holy. And oh, wow. When I see that, the things of earth grow strangely dim. Holy God. Holy God, it pulls you into it. It's like standing on a precipice and, and just being pulled off the edge into God. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Lord Yahweh. I am, I was, and I will be. Several times in this book, he says Alpha and Omega beginning and the end. Already we've seen it twice. It's the whole idea that I am the almighty God. I was, I exist of myself. I was, I am all of history. I am what's going on right now. It's centered in me and I will be. And I am the Lord God that changeth not. In heaven, I rule, I reign, and everything is exactly the way I intend for it to be. God, Elohim. God is just a general term for gods. I am Elohim. I am the God of gods. There is no God like me. All of the gods of the world are little G's. But I am the Almighty. I am Yahweh, God, Almighty. And that's the word Sabaoth. You've heard it. It's first introduced 
in the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel is where we get our first glimpse of true kings. I am Jehovah or Yahweh Sabaoth. Holy, set apart in who you are. You are mighty. You are, you are uh, the king of kings. And it actually means hosts. I am the Yahweh of hosts. And we see David become a mighty warrior. Remember when he goes and, and sees uh, Goliath? He says, you have a spear and you have uh, 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 what, what does it say he has? He has a spear and I've got it written down here. Let me, let me just read it. Maybe I've got it. What do you have? A shield? Alright. You have a sword and you have a shield but I come in the name of Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He had a glimpse into heaven that God had 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And this giant, he comes and he says, I'm not afraid of you. I'm just this tall in your sight. You've got a sword and you've got a shield. But I come in the name of the King of Kings who has an a host of angels, and I'm going to cut your head off. Holy, 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 you were, you are, and you shall come. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the God of gods. All of creation is singing that in heaven, and ultimately that's going to be the song of heaven. God Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords. which was and is and is to come. You rule and you reign over all eternity. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders, and here we go, what do they do? They fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Hallelujah. They fall down. Have you ever seen the king and I? Remember when, when the king says, you know, you need to bow when you come in? Is that, is that, that's a, that's a, the Yule Brenner movie? Uh, who's seen it? You've seen it? He says, you got to bow. And, and remember the, the lady, she, she, uh, she just kind of bows. She finally breaks and she kind of bows like this. So Yule Brenner, the king, he goes. And she goes. He goes. <laughs> and he, before you know it, he is laying on the floor, challenging her to get lower than him. The whole idea is, is the king is exalted. And when you see who he is, you don't want to put yourself above him. And so when these, when, when these uh, beasts begin to sing, all the people there, what do they do? They, you know, they fall down before. And it says they worship. You know what worship means? You know what the word worship means? It means to fall down. <laughs> they fall down and they fall down. <laughs> If you look it up in most lexicons, all it means is, is to pay obeisance by prostrating yourself. 
They fall down and they prostrate themselves. And what else do they do? That crown that they were promised and they got, all of a sudden they realize, oh wow. Oh wow. I've got a little bit of glory here. God himself crowned me with his crown. Oh, Father, almighty God, it's yours. All the glory comes to you. Yes, thank you so much that you let me participate, but it all comes back to you. Oh, God, my God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. It's going on right now in heaven. In heaven, there are people are bowed down before God, captured with who he is. And there is a door between heaven and earth. And he will open that door to you if you will spend the time with him. In both of these songs so far, we have been, seen them worshiping God, the Father. And they have worshipped him primarily because he is, he was, and he is to come. And all of eternity is under his control. You were, and you are, and you are to come. In chapter 5, and I can do this pretty quickly. In chapter 5, it opens up, and this God sitting on the throne has a, has a scroll in his hand. And they're looking for somebody to open it. Who's worthy to open this scroll? Now, this scroll has seven seals, and, and they need to be opened. And uh, evidently, this opening of this scroll has to do with the progression of history toward this time when it's all consummated. And there's nobody, there's no man, and evidently it has to be a man that can open it and there's no man that's found. And John begins to cry, Oh God! Just get yourself in that mindset. Wow, I'm seeing heaven. I'm seeing what's coming to pass. And, and there's a scroll that unrolls, unrolls it even more. Nobody can open it. Oh God! Are we stuck? Are we here forever? And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book and neither to look thereon. The purposes of God could not be opened up and continued unless some man could break those seals. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Oh, hallelujah. There was no man found, but this one of the lineage of David, of the, the lion of Judah, he prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne, one of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, 
stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Wow. In heaven. And, 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 and please don't try to visualize a bloody lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. It's typology. It, it, it's, it's a way of describing Jesus. Think about what you believe Jesus to look like, seriously, really. And then understand that he's getting a revelation of who that man is. And so he, he, he sees these seven horns that represent power and authority. And then he sees eyes. Jesus, Jesus is, is, is in cahoots with the Holy Spirit who is able to see into your life. And he is able to open this up. Why? Why can he open up our future? Why can we, why can we move toward that, that ultimate uh, robing and crowning that God is going to do and seating us in heaven to restore us? Because he is a lamb that was slain. And if there's any theme in this book, that's one of them. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. In chapter 6, verse 10, you, you can see this ongoing. How is this going to pass? How long is it going to take? It's all in Jesus. The King of Kings is opening the seals and it's coming to pass. So when you think about the Lamb, when you think about Jesus, the key to this whole book is the fact that God, through Christ, being crucified, has brought us a victory in these battles that are about to take place. He became the one who crushed the head of the serpent, the seed from which nations sprung, and the descendant of Judah and David, who would sit on the throne. He did all of this as his life climaxed in one amazing act. He was slain as a lamb to fulfill all righteousness. The, 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 biggest, the, the biggest typology of the lamb really goes back to the book of Exodus. It was through a lamb being slain that they were freed from their bondage and became a nation. It was through the crucifixion of Christ, the lamb of God, that we were set free from the darkness and the chaos of this world, and now we have become a nation of kings and priests, and we are on our journey to final exaltation in that last day, whether it's a last day for us or whether it's a last day for all of mankind. And so there he is, and he came and he took the book, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. There they are, they're falling down. They were falling down before the throne before, but the Lamb enters, and what do they do? They fall down before the Lamb. They all have harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Odors, that's just another thing that, that, that enhances the whole situation. And this is the prayers of the saints. And they sing a song. Here's, here's the, the third song. 
Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. There is this deep desire in John, and when it's not happening and there's no one able, he's crying, oh God, oh God. But an elder says, oh no, there's one. And as soon as this fact comes, fact comes to light, everything in heaven starts worshiping again and falling down to Jesus. Oh, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy to take the book. You hold our future and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood. There it is again. We worship you because you are worthy to bring us into our future because you were willing to shed your blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hath made us unto our God, again, here it is, kings and priests. The Father's intention was that we would be married into the family as kings and priests. It happened because his son was obedient and was able to provide the way for us to be redeemed back in. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Oh, lamb who was slain. You are worthy because you can open the book. And you, because you have shed your blood, have made us kings and priests. Hallelujah. And we are going to reign on the earth. God's purposes are coming to pass through our lives because of what Christ has done. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice as the fireworks went off and the drummers drummed and the people marched. Hallelujah. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and power. The lamb that was slain is worthy because he has opened up our future and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying and the, the song comes back together at the end blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The almighty, holy God who deserves for us to fall down before him and his son, the Lamb that was slain. There's nothing like it. You can't touch it until heaven's door opens and you see it. That happens by the Holy Spirit. God wants to send the Holy Spirit into our heart and give us a glimpse of, of, of what is going on right now. And now, very soon, it's going to take us into a battle that's going on. Everybody's familiar with that verse that says, and they overcame him. I, I have it written here. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, what? And they love not, not their lives unto death. Folks, if we are going to live this life, we need, we need to see heaven. 
we need to understand that God sits on the throne. And when we face the challenges and the temptations and the lies, we've got to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Those four horsemen are coming. There is going to be hardship. There will be challenges. I'm glad we're going to end with chapter 20 and 21 because that's when it's all over. We've got a glimpse of it now, but we've got to live this life. If we're going to overcome, here's how we do it. The word of our testimony. What is the word of our testimony? It's the way we live our life in relationship to God. John, in the beginning, remember he says, I am on the Isle of Patmos. Why? Because of my testimony. The word testimony actually is very closely connected to the word martyr. To testify is to become a martyr for. And through this book, the martyrs and the testimony. Now, remember there's seven churches. They're in different places. I think there was one church... They were promised that it would be short. They would have 10 days. There was another place that it looked like that they were going to spend a big part of their life in challenges and, and facing temptations. And so we can't predict at any point in time how it's going to play out for us. We can't read the book of Revelation and say, this is what's going to happen a, B, C, D, E, F, G. What we can say is that we've seen heaven. God rules. And we can see the end of the book that says we are victorious and we do find our place in heaven. But between here and there, there's a battle that's going on. And all we need to remember is, number one, God's on the throne. <laughs> and number two, that his son, Jesus Christ, Died, And through that, it made him worthy to open the seals. And we need to love not our lives, even, even if it means we have to die for this thing. I would like to worship God tonight. If you guys could come on up. Um, all through the Bible, you know what they're doing in places? It literally says they bow down. But in a lot of places, it uses the word worship. And I believe in many places where, where it does that. When I was growing up, we used to bow down. As we would worship God, there would just be a sense of his presence and the reality of God. And uh, I saw old men, 85 years old, just lay prostrate before God. Uh, I saw... I saw one night I saw most of the church on their face before God. Not because God came down and took everybody like a rag doll, but because there was a humility and a brokenness and a reality of a, 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 of a regal presence that, uh, that deserved for us to be lower than him. Now, the easiest way for me to do it is to come down front and bow uh, at the altar or, uh, or at this front pew. I mean, that's just the easiest way for me to bow down. Uh, 
But, but I hope as we work through the book of Revelation that we get beyond. I mean, some of you all are just half a click away from doing that at a ball game. My goodness, we could go one more click <laughs> and, and, and get prostrate before God. I don't want to make anything up, but, but let's see Jesus. Let's see the lamb who was slain. And let's see God on his throne. And, um, and let's really worship him. If, if nothing else in our hearts, let's really humble ourselves and, and see the majesty of who he is and, and the amazing thing that he's going to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so next week, we're going to talk about the battle. We're going to talk about the conflict. And uh, some of you all may have some questions that you want answered. If you, will, if you will email me, I will answer those questions uh, to the best of my ability. I know a lot of you are probably interested in a timeline. Uh, I will explain that next week. I will explain at least my understanding of the timeline of the book of Revelation and how this battle unfolds. And, uh, and how it culminates in those last chapters. Uh, but if you have specific questions, please, please email me this week early <laughs> so, so I can poke around and see if I can't find uh, what I would consider a bi biblical answer. Um, so, uh, oh, and I encourage you to do this. This is one other thing I wanted to mention. Ben Hughes tonight is walking through the seven churches and uh, so I would encourage you go, to go to ECF's site and listen to the way that he walks through those churches. And just let that kind of live in you as we seek God about where we are and where, where we're headed next year. Okay, great. All right, Father, thank you. Um, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Jesus, Son of God, Lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the world. We exalt you and we bless you. And ask you to make us victorious in the challenges of our life this week. So that you might be glorified here in the earth for your namesake. Hallelujah. Amen.